I'm Jana, the little sister. And I'm Jeff, her big brother. Welcome to Sibling Rivalry, a podcast about our favorite sport, baseball. This week on Sibling Rivalry Baseball, the playoff pitcher is clearer than the air on the West Coast. <coughs> I can't see you. Are you there? <laughs> Let me look through this and find some SRBB <coughs> headlines. Big Ten football is back. The Big Ten Conference and its Council of Presidents and Chancellors voted unanimously to begin the football season on October 23rd. Each team will have an eight-game schedule. College basketball fans rejoice. Hallelujah. NCAA Division I Council voted to start the 2020-2021 season November 25th. Details still need to be worked out, but if the season does take place, there are eight early season tournaments planned in the Orlando bubble. Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson are among 14 first-year eligible candidates for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The nominees list will be reduced to 25 semifinalists in November and to 15 in January. Enshrinement at the Hall in Canton, Ohio will take place in August 2021. The PGA traveled to New York last weekend to hold the 120th U.S. Open at Winged Foot Golf Club. Bryson DeChambeau picked up his first major win and had only the third under par total score in the history of the tourney at Winged Foot with a six under 274 total. DeChambeau overtook Matthew Wolf on the final day. Wolf shot an even par over four days to take second. You can find these in past week's headlines on our website, SiblingRivalryBB.com. Remember to rate and subscribe wherever you listen. And tell a friend to listen to the Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Only one week left to go. There's still open playoff spots. Still some questions about the whole bubble thing and the playoffs. The umpires have decided to get into the mix of things. We'll talk about those in just a second. First, I needed to mention something about this last headline. The PGA U.S. Open. Danny Lee, one of the golfers, apparently winged foot is a really challenging course. It's rare that anybody, there only three have had under par scores in the history of the U.S. Open while it's been held there. So Danny Lee's about like everybody. He's 70, 75. He's not doing badly. He's hanging in there but apparently on saturday the third day of the tournament he melted down on the 18th hole six putting taking a nine it's like a quadruple bogey i think they said it was but he just missed like four feet which should have been nothing apparently the greens got some is kind of wonky so he kept shooting past shooting past finally he's like seven feet out he'd been closer he finally was like missed to the left missed to the right and afterwards, after this complete meltdown on the third day, so he made it, made the cut, he quit right after the 18th hole. I'm sorry. He said he had a wrist injury and he withdrew from the tournament. Oh. But we all know what really happened there. <laughs> he, he quit. He saw that. He was upset about it. He was frustrated with it. He looked stupid and he quit. Well, what would have been great is if he was like Adam Sandler in happy Gilmore. It's like, go to your home. It's your home. Don't you want to go to your home? <laughs> and then, that would have made for a more interesting U.S. Open. 
He was so as I'm sure somebody I didn't see it. Everything I saw about it said this is really hard to watch. He really wasn't doing poorly. And with that one shot, I think he would have parred the hole, maybe birdied it, but I think it was a par four mm. on that last one. So he would have at least parred the, the hole and he would have had a good round overall. But then he ended up 78 overall on the day, which really <laughs> I'm based going on home. What he said, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Anyway, I, I just had to share that because it just that was the one thing that stood out for me while I was looking through what had happened over the weekend. So the umpires felt left out, I guess. Is that how you took it? Yeah, I think so, because they've been going, doing well, haven't heard anything. And yeah, they decided at least one. That's all I've heard. Decided. I want to find out about this COVID thing, too. I need What's to do like? a little more investigation into it. Yeah, and he happened to be in Florida, which is the perfect spot to it's get It's an COVID. incubation spot, yeah. It is. I and think they have vacation packages there now. Timeshares. COVID. <laughs> yes, the COVID timeshare program. This happened. It didn't happen in Miami. It happened in Tampa Bay. It was the Nationals and Tampa Bay were playing, and the one umpire tested positive. So they had a late shift in crew assignments in Florida. So they started out with three umpires. And then by the fourth inning, they had a full crew. So, But I haven't heard anything more. I guess the umpires learned their lesson. They had one guy. Don't know who it is. It was not Joe West that we that's know of. That's who you would think. But... Or Angel Hernandez. Well, no, that's who you'd hope. Joe <laughs> West is who you would think because he doesn't. He believes it's all a hoax. Right. And typically those are the guys that it becomes a big, if it was him though, it would have been a big deal. Angel Hernandez, you hope is being drugged behind the same bus that has half of the asterisks that if you haven't been hit by it, you're being drugged behind it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, late in the season, one umpire decided, yeah, I think this COVID timeshare looks nice. He got ringed into it, <laughs> roped into it. <laughs> And now, hopefully he doesn't have to pay for it for life. Yes, he'll never get out of the timeshare part. He might get over COVID. Right, but the timeshare, no. <laughs> okay, so now the question is, as we're with, we've got one last week of baseball, the bubble has kind of gotten figured out to some extent, at least for the players. There's still an issue with the managers, coaches, and their families. Because the bubble for the families is different. A lot of families, they can go in right now with the player. However, there's some things that if they don't go in, there are provisions for them to visit with social distancing. And when I saw that, the first thing I thought of was like a, like a prison visiting room. Not like the ones where everybody's at a table. And they can all see that the ones with the big thick glass between them. And they have to uh, they have the, the telephone. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the handset and they talk through there. That's yeah. what I saw with the social that, distancing. Or that would be awesome. <laughs> or they're like they're like on one side of a fence. You know, all the players are lined up in the uh, the concourse somewhere, and all the families on the other side of the fence behind a barrier to maintain proper distancing and everything's locked down, and they can yell back and forth over yes. that. So that's what I saw. But apparently there are some that, and I guess too, if a player has kids at home, they can go and instead of being in a hotel for this week before playoffs. 
then get an exemption to be home, but the family all has to stay at home. They have to quarantine in place. So they can do that. Or if you're single, you can do the same thing, but the same thing applies. You can't go out and do things that a single person might do. Right now, they're, everybody's supposed to, I think over this last weekend, start their quarantining. At least that's right. how I... Yeah. I think that sounds right. I think you explained it well. It's all kind of, it's all kind of crazy because now we've heard that Manfred, because the games, the World Series will be held at the Grill, Globe Life uh, Field, that there may be fans. So what does that entail? How does that work? Now, we saw fans at the first NFL game, the Chiefs and the Texans, but you're talking about a football stadium where you can really distance fans. There were only about 17,000 fans there. At a football field, you're not on the field. You're not really that close to the field. And it's a it's huge easier stadium. to distance from the players. I did yeah. see over the weekend that they had fans in Miami, but not in Tampa Bay. And then it did look like maybe I, I didn't see close, but it looked like there were fans in Dallas over the weekend at the, te- at the Cowboys game. But I couldn't see, and I didn't remember if it was on Fox or not. So I didn't know if they were like, if they had put the fake fans in. Oh, right. But they were spread out enough that if they put fake fans in, they actually distanced the fake fans. Right. Yeah, that's a big stadium. So I think with the football stadiums, it makes sense. I there, it's more, it's easier. But with baseball, you've got these guys. Yes, they've been traveling. But they have been under, you know, they go to the hotel, they go to the ballpark. That's the routine. When they're home, they're pretty much they're at home and they're not going out. And now you're introducing a whole other aspect into the situation where you have fans. How are how's that going to be handled? Fans have masks. Do they get their temperatures checked? And it can't be just the people that are living in the in the area because as soon as tickets and how with tickets work, everybody is going to want to go to now, a baseball game. One of the Rangers executives, I don't remember name and title off the top of my head here, but said that if that happens, Major League Baseball handles the ticketing process. So fans are the teams that are actually in the LCS there. So it would only be the National League teams. So potentially the Dodgers or the Padres from out here, but the two teams that are there will be allotted a number of tickets. That's speculation at this point because that hasn't come up, but the same thing for the World Series. So the two teams in the World Series, those teams will each be given a probably the largest portion split between the two of them, I would hope. And then those fans can figure out if they want to come. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to buy those tickets if they can go and try to be, and those tickets are going to be, imagine what they'll be, the cost will be initially. And then the secondary market will be out of this world. Yeah. Crazy price. I mean, I just saw where a Qantas flight in based in Australia was taking off from Sydney It was like a six-hour flight, and it was going to land back at Sydney. So it was a flight to nowhere. It was going to be a scenic flight, so low level over the Great Barrier Reef and different places. 
And that plane ride sold out in 10 minutes. And the lowest price ticket was $600 all the way up to $1,000. So I can only imagine when you think of World Series tickets or championships tickets anyway, they're expensive. But in this case, they're going to be crazy. But I just wonder how introducing a whole other segment, you know, fan. And obviously there's going to be fans that won't go because of, you know, how they feel or if they feel comfortable. Right. But I have to say that if I was given the chance to go, I'd want to go. You would be one of the few people, even though millions will say, I got one of those tickets. I was there to actually have been there in these odd times. That would be, that'd be pretty, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. You know, you, to me, What's the difference if you put on a mask and go to the store, you're going to be probably in closer proximity to people than they're going to do there. They're going to be more stringent about it, I I believe, I about so. making sure that, that people are, because with an abundance of caution. That's MLB's favorite phrase. With this bubble thing, obviously fans maybe, I think the one thing that works, not so much with the LCS, but with the World Series is is that the people who do the fans that may be able to come, even if something does, if there's an outbreak, chances are it won't affect the teams. And even if it does, chances are it'll be after. We won't really know until after everything's over. Because the World Series starts October 20th there in Arlington at the Grill. Like I said, with the bubble, the only big thing right now is uh, Dave Roberts said it. He's going to be disgruntled if his family isn't at least able if if he can't work it out so that they can come as well the players families can all as long as they're willing to do the quarantining or isolating as prescribed then they're in it doesn't make sense other than we've heard the the room situation there wouldn't be enough rooms but i think they would limit the amount you know you're not going to have your whole family come it I would think, be immediate family for coaches and you know for the managers right not like you're gonna have your uncle and your second cousin and maybe well <laughs> your your 17th your 17th cousin seven times removed on your mother's sister's brother's aunt's <laughs> side or whatever <laughs> right yeah you get out your ancestry Right. And, uh, let's DNA. see. Let's look at the family tree here and see how far out. What's the limb the farthest out <laughs> that I can get them on? Now, some of the players have, like, I read a thing about the Cubs players are already doing that. And a couple of them were like, we have to remember everything now because their wives or their families are coming in. They're like, and if they have a dog, they've got to plan in how much dog food they need for potentially uh, a month plus. It's, it'll come out. You figure by the end of the seed, they started now. So it'll be just over a month. Yeah. And then if you make it out of the wild card round, wherever you go, if you maintain, some people will be, somebody will be in, in Arlington for almost a month. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I was thinking too, is the hotel situation. So you have the team hotels and how many teams will be in that location, then where are the fans going to stay? The fans probably shouldn't stay in the same hotel 
as the teams, so no. they'd have to block those off and but say, I would okay, think you that can't if they stay have, here. If they have all the extra people that are part of it, the team and the auxiliary members of the organization that have to be there, plus any family, and you figure family comes, they're going to stay with the player. Everybody has their own room, so that's one thing. And there's only, what, to start, there'll only be four teams. Actually, there'd only be two teams in both locations. So that would be, it's going to be with the fan part of it, though. I know that the mayor of Arlington said, hey, we're going to make sure we can accommodate anybody that comes. And they'll at least have an idea because, you know, 10,000 seats have been sold. That's 10,000 people. Well, I think at any point, this any mayor or governor, if they're in that position, that they're you know we're going to accommodate the fans, but it also is bodes well, obviously economically too. So especially yeah, during the, these well, times, he said he, the mayor of Arlington said he hopes people will come and they'll take in the sites that are there and enjoy the games, and we're going to do our best. And yeah, the Arlington all of a sudden is going to be a boom for them. And and probably some around because you figure all the hotels in Arlington are going to jack up their prices. So people may stay a little farther out in any direction. Right. Yeah. You might have to stay in Wichita Falls. That could be. Yeah. You have to go all the <laughs> way up there. All right. So while the bubble mostly is figured out, at least for the players and the idea, we still obviously don't know about uh the fans being there, we don't know how all of the family stuff's going to fully work out, but it's it's a little clear on that. What's still not as clear as we would have hoped or thought it might be is the playoff picture. And I guess not even hoped because this leads to a last week that is going to be crazy with all of these teams being kind of crunched together in a couple of these because the West the NL West is is in. Your first and your second place teams are already secured with playoff spots in the Dodgers and the Padres. Oakland has secured their spot by winning their division. They're the only team to have outright won the division. The Dodgers, I know, do have a home field guaranteed. I think the Padres do too. So even if they were to swap, they would still both be in the top four. Tampa Bay and the Yankees, punch their tickets, but neither have won the East, nor have either guaranteed home field yet for the first round. White Sox and the Twins both are in there. Then you get to the to the National League, and only two teams have punched their tickets. The aforementioned Dodgers and Padres. Everywhere else is so tight that I would say that if Atlanta wins the next couple of games, they're going to find their way in. Miami is would probably be close behind Cubs also, but the teams are just all compressed there. So it's kind of crazy how this last week will work out with the National League and when somebody other than the two teams from the West will join in the party or get their yeah. invitation. Right. Yeah. More, I think more like their invitation. And it's interesting too, because we talked about our playoffs picks last week and did you mention the Reds? I didn't mention the Reds. I said I thought about them. Right. But I and went with the Giants after I looked at what? Because the Reds, I think I was looking at them earlier 
and the Reds have the Brewers this week and the Twins. Mm. And while they're ahead of the Brewers, the Brewers have been surging lately as well. I mean, we're, we're going to we'll talk about them later in around the league having another big game, but they're like right there close within a game of the Reds. But yeah, who who would have thought and those things flipping back. We also thought that uh, Buffalo, the Blue Jays were a lock and they saw the Yankees and maybe they're not. We don't know. They're they're still over 500. They're still in a good spot, but it's just not as I figured by now we would have seen a better idea of what the playoffs would look like, or at least who's in. And then it may be a little bit of work between the wild cards or the second place teams. Because St. Louis is one percentage point above Cincinnati for that second place spot. Yeah, I think this next this uh, this week is going to be really interesting because you've got teams that are playing we in the uh, West and the NL West. We thought San Francisco would be in there, and there's still that possibility. They're playing uh, the Rockies this week, so the Rockies could be a spoiler for the Giants. The, yeah, there's a lot of movement that can happen, and with you know where we had where I had the Yankees was where was at the bottom and Toronto in the middle but it will definitely be interesting I think with this expanded playoff now I do have a question for you because I just saw that our favorite Manfred thinks that maybe expanded playoffs should should last any thought I of all the things and I, I was thinking about this in general, about things that have happened in the 2020 season and maybe something that we can talk about once we're past the playoffs and we're kind of wrapping up the season. But I, I did think about this uh, with other things, that the playoffs, this, depending on how it plays out, the first round is going to be the part of it that I think we need to see how that goes. But I'm okay with with this. I'm not against it. It, it. it does make things a little more interesting and it does keep some teams in the mix later in the season. If I was able to do one thing with this expanded playoff setup, I would eliminate the division or at least the second place teams, the three division winners, because that's got to stand for something. Right. And then the best five records after that. Well, right now, I don't think any of the teams that are currently in the mix are below 500. Now, obviously, that can change. They may stay in there, but end up still having a under 500 record. But I, I, that avoids that. But I think that that way, if you have a good season, but you didn't make it into, you're just one percentage point away. You get the Dodgers and the Padres are both up there tearing it up, and you're right there in third. But and you're having a good season, but there's teams in other divisions that have played weaker teams and have a, have a little better winning percentage, let's say. I just That's the one thing I'd like. But I think, yeah, I think if I was my feet to the fire, I would say, yeah, go ahead and expand that. That's one thing that I could agree to right now. What about I don't you? Think it, yeah, I, I, don't, I think it's a, not a bad idea. It does, like you said, it puts some, obviously, there's more strategy for the teams too, as they're playing, because you still have, I mean, you want to have a good record 
throughout. But then it puts that strategy into where we're seeing now where the wild card games are three games. So how does that work? Oh, and then, you know, and then you have the five games. But now how does that work with pitching rotations? And there aren't a lot of days off. I think maybe one or two, you know, there's not very many. the wild card and the division series, I I think there's a day, but there's no days off during the division series. Right. Or the championship, the league championship. There's not days off until you get to the World Series. Yeah. I mean, as far as like the series itself, there's days off between each of those. Right. So you'll play three in a row. You'll have the day off. If you win it in two, you may have a couple of more days off. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to watch how managers use the rotation, how they use their bullpen and in those situations. So I think. For baseball, the expanded playoff, I can I can get behind that. I think it just adds a layer of excitement to the game because you don't know. Because we, I mean, we do have teams we know that have already punched their ticket that are going to go, but we still have the central is up and down. There's three teams there. And especially those seven and eight spots can completely change even in this next week. So I think if I had to, you know, say, yeah, Manfred might be on to something with this one. I think but somebody not, told him that <laughs> he didn't come up with it on his own. <laughs> probably so. But no, but um, one thing that won't happen in the these games and these championship games is no runner on second base in right. extra no innings extra innings runner which no zinnings i will be happy well there there could be zinnings well no zinnings just with, without the ghost uh, runner right i'm sure there will be zinnings so when you were talking about strategy there was something that popped in my head and i think we should talk about it next it's time for dodger baseball Okay, so last week there was a moment, and if I take all of Dodger Nation that is on Twitter, but mostly if I just look at how you reacted, the world was over because of what happened with San Diego. Game one. Well, game one, San Diego won the World Series in that in that game. Right. And and they did act like it. And you would have thought that everything was over, that the Dodger was, season was over. That yes. And, it did, to be perfectly honest, having seen things like what happened that last Monday night with the Dodgers, I did feel like we may be on the verge of a breakdown and second place, which is something that you anticipated with your with your picks last week. Right. I mean, thinking about the Padres and going into San Diego with how well the Padres had been playing, yeah, I should have anticipated game one being how game one turned out. So game one, Kershaw Day threw 6.1, six and a third there, innings pitch, gave up five hits, three runs, threw 99 pitches, gave up one home run, struck out nine. Yeah, not a uh, not a bad day for Kershaw. And I really think he got pulled in the seventh and I know Dave Roberts didn't want to extend, didn't want him to go over a hundred pitches or more. But I think if he had left him in that inning, he would have been able to get out of it. 
but we'll never know because despite his objections, Dave took the ball. Does something happen in game three uh, of this set and, he, and also happened during the Colorado series that I want to bring up in as far as strategy goes? I know that the Dodgers, it feels like some of the moves they've made, at first you look at it and you go, okay, maybe they're setting up a better pitching matchup for another day. Like they didn't start Dustin May when they had planned on it. They went in a different direction and then pitched Dustin May on another day or Tony Gosselin on another day or, or, you know, so you look at that, it's like, okay, are they already starting to set up for the playoffs, which could be. Yeah. It, pe- it appears to be, but so taking him out then, even though he's not a kind of pitcher that I think you need to do that with. And it's not like he's already had 30 starts on the season. Like he would be closer to mm-hmm. or more than in a regular season. I think that the, they shouldn't get too crazy with that stuff because this is what always happens to the Dodgers. Dave Roberts overmanages. He macro manages things to the point that, they, it's like playing the prevent defense in football. All that does is prevent you from winning. And he overmanages the bullpen during times, especially the playoffs. I think that he, he the pitching problems, if he'd have left him just go, what, what else could have happened? They lost seven to two. They were in the game and it wasn't until later in the game and with a, a reliever that the game got out of hand. Yeah, the Padres scored five in the seventh. Pedro Baez came in. He gave up three runs. But the Dodgers also, we can't just look at pitching because in this game, the Dodgers couldn't get their offense going. There were four for 30 across the lineup. Struck out Um, 14 times as a team. Yeah. So, and the thing about Monday's game was in San Diego, been watching games and you hear the music and you hear crowd noise, but it was really loud. It was like a playoff atmosphere in San Diego. The dugout was really loud. The San Diego dugout. You know what's and, weird with, with that game? I was watching it is, you know how when you're watching a TV show and everything's kind of low at a different volume on the show. And then when it goes to commercials, the commercials are like six times louder yeah. than the show. The commercials were actually quieter <laughs> than the noise in the, in the film. Yeah. Really? It wasn't, it, I'm not, I'm not just making a joke about it. No, it that's really not an was. exaggeration. Yeah. It was really loud. I don't know who was running the, the sound system, but it was really loud. And I think maybe that rub the Dodger fans the wrong way, obviously with the loss too. But I don't think that that was the biggest thing. I think that played into it. If that had been the only thing, but there was another issue that really got everybody shook up. Kind of rad. There was an earthquake here in LA. I think that was the cause of it. Dodger fans freaking out about some Padres action yeah the Padres uh, center fielder Trent Grisham he hit a game time home run off doesn't of Clayton it, doesn't Kershaw doesn't sound like he should be an author Trent, yeah. or like a or like a political analyst now we go to <laughs> Trent Grisham to break down the political debate <laughs> uh 
That would be interesting. But no, he just hit a home run off of Clayton Kershaw. And when I saw it, he stood there and he acted as though it went foul. And even even Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser kind of are like, what's going on here? And that's the exception that Dodger Nation took, the Dodger fans took with Trent Grisham is he stood in the box and we know guys admire their home runs. I am not a fan of that. Hit the home run, run your bases. He right, stood not, there. Not to, not to an overwhelming extent. It's one thing no. to hit something, maybe look for a second, do your bat flip or just drop the bat and, and go. Yeah, but, he yeah. did not. He stood there, said something to his dugout, flipped his bat, took his time around the bases, and as he's rounding third, decides he's going to say some things to the uh, Dodger dugout. That's where I think that the wheels really came off of his bus and really got everything going and causing this uproar. Yeah. So after that, it was just, you know, game on. And with the Dodgers loss, it just didn't look good. It's like, oh, great, this is what we have to uh, look forward to now. I have already compiled. I'm starting a list of my punk baseball team and my uh, lackadaisical team. And Trent Grisham is on the punk starting roster, so <laughs> I have that. But Dave Roberts said, "I don't mind guys admiring a homer. Certainly, it's a big game. It's a big hit." Now he says he really likes the player. I don't really like the player. Disagree with Dave on that. But he said, I just felt to overstay at home plate against a guy like Clayton, who's got the respect of everyone in the big league leagues for what he's done in this game. I just took exception to that. There's a certain respect that you give a guy if you homer against him. Trent Grisham is in his second year. He has not earned. Yeah, he's only been in the league calendar like one year the end of the season will be his first complete season he came up last season late season call up so he's he's just barely i mean he's out of he's not a rookie basic by by his time however he's still a rookie he's still he's still a young guy early in the season i didn't have any issues with him and honestly i remember back to 2017 when i didn't have issues with the asterisks either but when they started playing and acting as if they were greater than everybody else and having the same arrogance to quote pedro martinez uh, yeah. about trent grisham's home run when they started doing that that took them away it's like looking at them going hey this is a solid team they're fun to watch and then they get you know i was even able to get past manny yeah yeah manny was looking good and you're you're looking at them going (laughs) okay these are guys you know cronenworth tatis obviously tatis is probably the only guy i'm still okay with on that team of the day-to-day players he's a more respectful Yeah, I was just going to say that. I think if he had hit the home run, I don't think it would have been a big deal. I I mean, he's probably going to stop and stare and then he would run the bases and be back. But it's Fernando Tatis Jr. I think he's kind of earned it a little more. He's earned it a little more than Trent Grisham. And that was the other thing with, you know, it got people talking about it. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is like, I'm not going to worry about him. Let him do what he, what he does. But 
yeah, it just, it just set the tone. And for me, you know, at that point, it's like, there's the Dodger giant rivalry, but man, I, the giants aren't looking too bad. The Padres this year, uh, they just, yeah, they're just rubbing, rubbing me the wrong way. Yes. So that at some point when you're complaining about the giants or when you're saying something else, I'm going to go, you betrayed your team because a real (laughs) rivalry. Yeah. The rivalry will always be. Yeah. That will always be. I'm just saying though, because the the proximity of LA and San Diego where fans from either side could mix over. And when LA didn't have a football team, we were forced to watch charger games is that they covered our market we were like we don't want any team in our market (laughs) unless it's our team directly in our market right all right so things turned around though for the rest of the series uh tony goslin showed up in game two yep had seven innings four hits one run no walks two strikeouts no home runs and he got his first win sweet and he allowed four hits but none to Fernando Tiatis Jr. or Manny Machado. And the only run that was scored, the Dodgers won this game at three to one, but the only run that the Padres scored was on a drag bunt. And it was right. just one of those situations where, yeah. And you've seen bunting a lot more this season, where before it's like, what happened to the bunt? I lost seen, art of bunting. I've seen a few teams try to go opposite the shift. Sometimes via bunting, some of them are trying to get a little better at, at, uh, hitting away, you know, hitting opposite field that's helped. Yeah. Um, Kenley got a save that day. He did get a save, but it was still nail biting. I couldn't watch the last little part of the game. I did watch it. I was in my kitchen and I could see, I was watching the game in my bedroom so I could see part of the TV because he got the bases loaded and mm-hmm. I thought, oh no, what this is not gonna this is not gonna end I well. Was, I was for sure once the bases were loaded that uh, they were gonna drop that game. That yeah, was it. But he was able to get out of the jam. He struck out Will Myers and Jake Cronenworth, and the Dodgers won that game. I was uh, concerned because those were two guys. Will Myers has is a home run hitter and has done so against the Dodgers. Cronenworth. One of the Grand Slam kids that started the whole Slam Diego thing. Oh, no. So in that game, JT goes three for four. Rios hits a home run. But Ferguson, Caleb Ferguson and Blake Trinan combined for one inning, one perfect inning. Each struck somebody out. But didn't something bigger happen right then in that inning? In that inning with uh, Caleb Ferguson, are you thinking? Yeah, of? that's who yeah. I'm talking yeah, he unfortunately, after he threw a pitch, he you could tell he was uncomfortable. He winced, immediately called for the trainer from the dugout. Not sure. Nobody was really sure what was going on. Was it his leg? Um, later, we found out that after an MRI that he will be having Tommy John surgery for the second time. He had Tommy John surgery in 2014 as a senior in high school. So Thoughts out to Caleb Ferguson for a quick recovery. Tommy John is is tough, and he actually he's been doing well. He there were a string of games that he had, probably about three games where he pitched that he just did not have it. 
but he really turned himself around this season. And now that he's going to have to have Tommy John, it's just a, a bummer because he's most likely going to be out, you know, all of next season too. So well, yeah, he's, he's, he won't be back until 22. Yeah. He's a young guy, but still unfortunate for the Dodger bullpen because he was doing well, but that does make me think, was he having issues during that stretch where he uh, wasn't pitching as well and gave up, you know, like three home runs in each of the games. And so, yeah, a blow for the Dodger bullpen. The third game of the San Diego game, the Dodgers won seven to five, but it was a bullpen game. So you had uh, Bruce Starr, or I like to call him Buster Gratterall, uh, started the game. And then Dustin May came in and pitched the majority of the game, 5.1 innings. He had three hits, three runs, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts, two home runs. AJ and Chris Taylor both had home runs in that game. Mookie Betts had three stolen bases, the first three still game for the Dodgers since, do you remember this guy, Trace Thompson in yeah. 2016? Former so, Laker Michael Thompson and probably a NBA Hall of Famer and his brother up in Golden State. Clay. Yep. So that's the one thing before we get to the Colorado series that I think is part of the Dodger strategy. The bullpen game, I think, has become less of a necessity and more of a strategy. Oh, yeah. I definitely think that, too. Especially with the no days off during these playoff series. The three-game series, the wildcard series, isn't going to be that big of a deal as far as pitching in that you can throw three better pitches. Of course, they're having issues with injuries, uh, one, uh, Walker Bueller, I know, was supposed to be back sometimes in this last week, supposedly. But knowing that you can throw some of these guys, whether it be uh, Gratterall, Gonzalez, who's mm-hmm. who's gone to, uh, I think, a couple of innings in, in these different bullpen games. They did it in the Colorado series as well. And at that point, I realized these are guys, because they'd already clinched, now they're setting things up and that'll make this this week interesting we'll talk more about the series coming up but how they what they set up because the first team they play in, in this week is a team that's already clinched their their playoffs and a team that's probably not going to the playoffs so overall the uh they took three of four from the rockies what were the things in the series that stood out most to you i think with Game one, definitely with their win, nine to three, and their game two win, which was 15 to six. That's where you really saw the Dodgers coming out, what you expect offensively from the Dodgers. Also, uh, Julio Urias, five and two thirds innings in the first game, three hits, two runs, uh, two strikeouts. Uh, no home runs. His first innings that he's pitched have been erratic. He has a hard time. He threw 26 pitches in the first inning of that game, but he settled down and he pitched well. So he's going to be one that could fill into the rotation for the postseason. He's allowed 10 runs in the first inning 
but he's responded by allowing only nine runs in 39 innings after the first inning. So he has a 2.08 ERA and he knows that. I mean, he acknowledges that that first inning for some reason is a tough one. He's working on it, but he looked good. So that was something that was a positive from those games. Mitch White got his first big league win. He went two innings, no hits, no runs, had a strikeout. He's a rookie. He's been mostly at the alternative site, but got the win there. And game two was a bullpen game. Alex Wood started the game. He went two innings, five hits, three runs, three earned runs, one home run. Alex Wood still not anywhere near where he needs to be to be a starter. And I'm not even sure to be in the bullpen either. He Yeah, but how much of that is personal bias? I don't know. I mean, it's not that I dislike Alex Wood because he's not one of my favorite Dodgers. I will say that. I was not it wasn't a disappointment to me when he was traded to the Reds. But I want him to do well. I know well, he yeah, can do well. He's I've on seen the Dodgers. Him, right, but I've seen him pitch well. So I can only imagine for him, it's got to be frustrating, but he did come out in the game for the Dodgers lost that game. As I was watching it, uh, planet head came out and said, Oh, come on, just let the Rockies win. Just let them win just one time. So I guess the Dodgers heard that and they let him. And they let him win seven to two, but Tony Gonsolin did pitch that game. He had another good outing. He went five innings, three hits, two runs, one walk, which he doesn't normally give up, 10 strikeouts, no home runs. He has, um, he did get the loss, but again, he didn't have any offense. The lineup was seven for 32, but who was out of the lineup? Mookie Betts and Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor is a spark plug for the lineup also along with Mookie Betts. But when Mookie isn't in the lineup, offense for some reason just kind of... seem to lose their way a little bit there. Now, there is one thing that I did notice over a couple of the games here. Actually, for sure, the last three, no strikeouts for Max Muncy. Yes. I was going to mention that. He seems to be getting where he needs looking better in the batter's box. And if there's ever a time for him to get right um, as a hitter, it's right now. Yeah, that's it. Right now you want everybody to start getting it. Cody had a couple of good games. And then just to note for the Rockies, Nolan Arenado went on the IL, which isn't a big deal because he hadn't been contributing as much. His first cousin, though, Josh Fuente, has been picking up the slack, playing first base. Been hit. He hit a couple of home runs this series, uh, a couple of good days, three for four in that last game, went three for four with the home run in game two. Yeah, he so. was the Rockies offense pretty much. But yeah, I thought it was funny when you, you texted me and said, did you know that they were first cousins like well yeah but that's because i listen to the rockies announcers you know i listen to their right you their see play them. by play and so that's they always i mean he finally is josh fuentes he's not nolan's cousin, cousin. coming up to bat yeah 
Yeah, that, and that's when the first time I saw him from a, a different angle, and I think he was playing third because Nolan was out, and I thought, it kind of looks like, did Nolan change his look? And then and then I like showed him closer. I was like, that's not, that's not Nolan Arenado. No, and, but they, uh, yeah, they're similar look. They're, they, you can tell they're, they're family. They are first cousins, so that's for sure. Right. They're, they're very yeah, close there's... in that. It's not the 17th cousin 27 times removed. No, it's a little On bit On the brother's closer. aunt's cousin's uncle's right. brother's name. Neighbors side. <laughs> All yeah. right. So it really wasn't a bad week. It wasn't. The Dodgers went five for two. And obviously they, I think the, the loss in game one versus the Padres felt a loss were a lot worse than the loss to the Rockies to end that series. Oh yeah, definitely. It was just like, all right. Yeah, it's, it's okay. We'll give it to the Rockies. As Planet had said, let them win. Let them win yeah. one. I say no. Never take your feet, foot off the gas. That's I've been what watching, I said. Uh, I've been watching Cobra Kai, oh. the reboot of the Karate Kid thing. Yes. And that Cobra Kai mentality, no mercy. Yeah. There's no no mercy. Play it out. Right. If there was mercy, there'd be a mercy rule. And some of these games, the Braves would have never won 29-9 to last week if there was a mercy rule. Yeah. Well, or if you the, look back at, it, um, you know, at Karate Kid and you just sweep the lake. That's right. <laughs> Do you have a problem with that? Just go after them. No mercy. No mercy. The Dodgers um, have the A's and the Angels coming up. So we'll see if, if you get uh, redemption. So, yep, that's one big thing. And here's here's my question about these. Now, with the A's, they've already won their division. The Dodgers are within, I think, the last time I heard was about four games, magic number. But with a couple of other things, it could all be brought down and, and they could win it. I, I think they could have won it in Colorado. Yeah, they could have. Yes. So them playing the A's, the question will be, will the A's be playing differently to set up for the playoffs or will they wait more towards the weekend to kind of play that out? Cause the Dodgers have really already started kind of working things out to try to put things in position on how their sh- playoff strategy will be. So that'll be interesting since both of them are really not playing for the Dodgers are playing for more than the A's are at this point. The A's are assured they're in and they're locked in to at this point, it would just be one through three. Where do they set in that? And I don't think they're going to be number one. They'll be two or three, but they could be. The question will be with the Angels. At that point, I believe when the Angels come to town, because the Angels take on San Diego, and then they come up to play the Dodgers in the ravine. The Angels have been on a pretty decent, I think the other day I heard they'd won, they'd won like 11 of the last 16. We'll talk more about what they did in their last week coming up. But the Astros have not been playing great. They're win one, lose one, win one, lose one. So they're staying right around the 500 mark. The Mariners and the Angels could both, with good last weeks, potentially overtake them, depending on what the Asterix do. Yeah. So the question is... If the Angels play the best that they can, they have the the opportunity to beat the Dodgers at their best. But will the Dodgers be letting their foot off the gas to set up going into the playoffs against a team that really the Angels would be playing, depending on what happens versus the Padres and what the Asterix have done. But what will the Dodgers do? And will that be, you know, are they going to say, hey, we're playing for bragging rights? 
are they going to play hard because no mercy? That's the question. And we'll, and how will the angels respond? The angels do play well in the ravine, they but do. we don't know what, we really don't know who's going to show up and who's going to pitch how. Right. That's the bigger thing. And if the bats who have been hot lately will respond to whomever they see. And with that, who will the Dodgers throw at them? All good questions that we'll just so have to wait and will see. will we get redemption? <laughs> That's the thing that I'm looking at is how will this last week for the Dodgers play out with, and as soon as they, they clinch, do they set a lot of people down to rest? Does Max Muncy finally get a couple of days off or do they start playing with the lineup a little bit, looking ahead to who, because they're going to find out here in the next few days and, but maybe not until Sunday, who they will actually play in the first round. Right. So, yeah, I know this, this, uh, this week's going to be across the board will be, will be interesting to see the strategies, how things play out. Will they, like you said, have no mercy or, you know, let their gas, their foot off the pedal. I don't know. I'm hoping, you know, that they're just going to go full force. This is, you're playing to win no matter what. All right, before we head over to see what the Halos did this last week, who's your player of the week? So this one, I always go through and look at the box scores. I take notes, mental notes. Sometimes I write things down that stick out during games. This week, I went with a pitcher. I went with the cat man, Tony Gonsolin. He pitched twice, pitched in San Diego, pitched in Colorado. He had one win. He had one loss. He had 12 innings pitched, 12 strikeouts, seven hits, three runs, one walk, which, like I said, he doesn't give up walks, no home runs, now has a 1.77 ERA, definitely has cemented his spot in the Dodgers rotation, and just is smart because before his outing on Sunday, he was picking the brain of Clayton Kershaw. He's thinking ahead. So Tony Gonsolin, player of the week for me. Nice. I went with a position player. I looked at him not only because he had good numbers, but when he came back into the lineup after being out, things turned around. Yeah, he's spark plug. Justin Turner. Yep. Yep. He came back in game two of that Padre series. The Dodgers ended up winning out on the series, even though that first game looked like they might be, they'd run into a team that had won eight in a row. Right. You know, I was holding my breath too, but Justin uh, over the week played five games, DH'd them all, I think. And, you know, given his time, still given his leg time to, uh, to Hill and which is probably a good thing. He didn't need to play in there. Edwin Rios has been playing pretty well. He's done really well. And defensively too. That's what I was saying. More defensively, he's he's been hitting. Uh, okay, 589 average over those five games. Seven for 18. Hit a double. Only one RBI, but he walked three times. A boost to the lineup with the 589 means he's he's hitting the ball. He was getting on base. So Justin Turner's my player of the week. Tony Goslin for you and the A's and the Angels on the way. Crazy week for the Angels. Started off oddly as far as their first series goes. They played Arizona and then they had Texas in for four. Player of the week, Cole Calhoun, basically got that from the Angels, from playing the Angels. I think he was coming back 
Like, look at me. Yeah. Look what I I'm doing. I think so too. Like, isn't that that whole thing? You know, you you show them what they're missing out on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, the player of the week. He had like, what did I what did I see that uh, six home runs, a four fifty eight batting average. Yeah, he was crazy. was crazy. He loved being back at the. He was. He led the the Diamondbacks in home runs, but he only had nine. When he left, had like 13 or 14. I think it was 13 home runs when he left. So he went from being below double digits. A lot of the Angels players were happy to see him. You could see him laughing and joking. Mike Trout crashed his Zoom press conference or you know press availability <laughs> just to say, hey, and you know I miss you and everything. Based on the issues that we've had in right field, a lot of people in the Angels Nation are all, I miss Cole, bring Cole back. But he wouldn't be hitting the home run and getting all the R- RBIs if he was an angel. No, he was motivated. <laughs> That's just the way it works. To come in and, and do that. So a good week for a lot of different players, not for Julio Tehran. No. Who started out, uh, he pitched two games in the week, started that first game against the Diamondbacks. Now, here's the thing. If it mattered what the score was at the end and what you did. Now, as a team, it's a good confidence builder. Arizona took off and like was blowing them out. And the Angels came back to tie it up eight to eight at one point. Madison Bumgarner, first time he and Trout ever faced each other. What a bust. And it just didn't, that didn't work out. But Bumgarner went five and a third, gave up all eight runs, two home runs. He had 13 hits. And one of the home runs to uh, last week's player of the week, Jared Walsh. David Fletcher came in, had a couple of hits. Um, Simba, two for three. One of the big problems for the Angels pitching, they gave up five home runs that game. Two of them yeah. to Cole Calhoun. Another one to Carson Kelly, their catcher. So that was a that was a tough game. From the one side of it, you can go, well, they came back and they made a nine to eight game, and they really put themselves in a position to win. But it's still an L. Uh, game two didn't look much better, and it was worse, in my opinion, because it was Dylan Bundy. Yeah, two and two thirds innings. It's not yeah, gave up six hits, two runs, one of them a home run to David Peralta. And then Patrick Sandoval comes in, who has been having issues. He was pitching okay. And at one point they said, well, if the Angels can, you know, make a comeback like they, they did last night, he might get his first major league win. He pitched last season. This season he's never had a win. Not to say that he hasn't pitched well enough to kind of get that, but he's not either he gets no decision or he doesn't stay in the game long enough to qualify. Another home run for Jared Walsh in that game, one for Justin Upton. Jay up went deep there, went two for three. Simba. Max Stassi, I think, had a home run in that game. And Max Stassi went three for four in that game with a home run and a double. So it's just looking like, oh, here we go again. We feel like you would be emaciated because you could not eat. Right. And I wasn't. I was getting to that point. Luckily, Griffin Canning was feeling me. And went out and had a, a decent outing, five innings, six hits, two runs, struck out seven. Anthony Rendon, home run. Taylor Ward, three for four. Jared Walsh, one for three. Trout, one for three with two RBIs. 
So good hitting game, Fletch, three for five. They uh, they took it to Alex Young in that last game, who gave up six of the seven runs. Cole did get a double, went one for three. So he had a good uh, series overall, like we talked about. Got him the player of the week. I'm pretty sure mostly from that. Uh, the Angels still, they win seven to three. They look better, but still not like, is this just a one-off? Because we've done that a lot. We've yeah. won one game in a series. But we've I, I want one game against every team we played this year, except for the Dodgers. Right. Yeah. And I do want to mention in this game, Jared Walsh became the first rookie with both an RBI and a run scored in nine consecutive games since the RBI became a stat in 1920. Additionally, he is the first American League player to accomplish this feat since David Ortiz did it with the Twins in 20, uh, 2002. Right. So, yeah, he is. Big feet there. He has definitely, obviously, you can't go off of one season, especially a shortened season. We have to see what's going to happen. He's on a 13-game hit streak. If this is any indicator of what he's going to be in the future, we have a future first baseman. We don't have to worry about going out and getting one. So, as Albert, next season's, potentially his last season. We don't have to worry about having to go out and get somebody to replace him as a first baseman, spending a lot of money on a free agent that may be a bust. We just focus on pitching. So, yeah. And speaking uh, of, of Albert. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're getting there. Now we did play four games against the Rangers and the Rangers led the series of the six games we'd played. They'd beat us five out of the six. So they roll into town on Friday. Jaime Berea, who has been showing consistently that he could be a big league pitcher, six and a third innings, gave up six hits, only two runs, struck out eight. What was good as well was that Andres Pena and Hobie Milner, who have all had their issues this season through two and two-thirds perfect innings. But once again, this game belonged to Albert Pujols. I think we should call him Mr. Pujols. The machine. <laughs> yes. La Machina. Yes. Who has gone deep on 427 different pitchers, not only moved past Willie Mays or sole possession of fifth place on the home run, all time home run list, was 661. He did it one better and went to 662. Yeah, this two is, home runs in that game. This is a 60th. It was a 60th career multi-homer game. Uh, Willie Mays sent Albert Poolhalls an email that asked him, what took you so long? So, right. <laughs> good there. And interesting, uh, interesting fact, you know, I like these interesting facts. Poolhalls has worn number five throughout his career. He hit his fifth home run of the year in the fifth inning to become the fifth all-time on the home run list. And let's just throw in that Jaime Berea was five years old when Albert Pujols <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> began playing. <laughs> the fives. The fives. You got to love all it. Of, yep. Albert on the fives. So the, the Angels went on and grabbed a 6-2 victory in that game, which I think helped power them into game two. 
Decent outing by Andrew Haney. Good outings or good um, innings by Noe Ramirez and Mike Myers, who those are two guys that whenever I see them, I automatically go, that's not the answer to this question. However, they have both, it's easy, that personal bias. I don't like either of these guys because they, I always focus on the bad. Mike Myers has been great recently. Noe Ramirez has been solid. You know, I can't, I can't fight it. They've been, they've been doing really well. So I got to give them their props. Uh, Shohei, who hadn't played since uh, the 12th of September, came in, went two for three, hit a home run. Yeah. First time um, is uh, playing as a DH. Yeah. So in that, in that time span. So nice showing for him to come out and, and hit for the angels. And this is the one thing that Shohei and Joe Adele haven't been seeing a lot of time because Joe Madness said, we're not eliminated yet. So I want to put my best guys out there. And the best, the guys that have been playing have actually been stepping up. Jared Walsh, obviously, Taylor Ward. Justin Upton has gotten over whatever his early season was. Uh, scary moment during the series with uh, Jay Up. Pitch got away from uh, Rangers pitcher, hit Justin in the head, got the helmet. He went down. Of course, you're worried that it it hit just wrong and he's got a concussion or something else. He was back in the lineup by the end of the series. That was Saturday night. He missed Sunday and was back in for the last game of the series. Julio Tehran back in on uh, for game three, another bad outing, only really throws one inning, did see a couple of batters in the second, but it's not really. And I, I wonder if, if he's just got to that point that he's just he's losing stuff or if that early season, the COVID stuff, because that's why he was late. And then I think once you went to the, to the alternate site for a lot of these players that were late with the alternate site, didn't get any time in with the big club before the season started. I've seen a lot of them have issues. So I wonder if that's the bigger problem or if he's just on his way out. Uh, by the way, in game two, when Shohei hit that, uh, they beat Lance Lynn. Oh, nice. That was, uh, that was nice. Patrick Sandoval once again came in, didn't look great. Ty Buttry gave up a couple of home runs, one of them to Sam Huff, which was his first career home run. So there was, and it, it just, your buddy Dietrich. <laughs> Jersey <the> situation. <laughs> That's right. You got a home run in that game too. Uh, the wrap up of the series of the uh, the wrap around series, um, eight to five. They started off Bundy pitching again, threw 101 pitches, faced 28 batters or 22 batters, five innings pitch, three runs, five hits, gave up one home run. Hobie Milner came in, gave up two runs. Dylan Bundy's one of those guys who is better as he goes. The batting average against him in the first inning is in the mid 200s. After that, it drops to like 130 or 140. Then it goes up to about 190 from there. So he gets stronger. He didn't look great, but he didn't look, he didn't look terrible. His performance overall, he held him to three runs. It was like that until the fourth inning and he got the run support that the team gives him. And most of it came from Jared Walsh. Kyle Gibson, the Rangers pitcher, 
walked three. He actually had walked four total in the game, but walked three in that inning. And Jared Walsh came up with a 12-game hitting streak at the moment and hit a grand salami. His first career grand salami, I might add. And right now has a 13-game hitting streak because of it. Yeah, Gerald Walsh is batting 396 with seven homers, two doubles, a triple with 13 runs scored, 21 RBIs. He also has eight home runs tied for second in the majors, 23 RBIs tied for third in the majors in 17 games. And to think this guy signed for $3,000 in 2015. Yeah, that one for four. He only went one for four, but that one was was great. Uh, yeah. the four by a trout. It was grand. It was grand. Trout hit a triple, but struck out twice. Rendon, three strikeouts, and then got thrown out after the last one, arguing the balls and strikes, because it really was a ball that was, and it was clear. It wasn't a borderline pitch. It was clear. And what really got him thrown out was, was he's arguing about it. And then the, and whatever the umpire said, he just like waved his hand at him, like, like waved him away, like, whatever, go away. And the umpire was not having that tossed him. And so they had to, uh, they had to move some things around. They had to move uh, Fletch over the third for the last inning. And Renhifo came in to second. Max Dassey, another good game, two for four. Justin Upton hit by another pitch in this game. Luckily, not in his head this time. So good game for the Angels. Great series, even though they don't win or, or they don't tie the, the Rangers for the season series. It wasn't bad. They won four games uh, of the 10. So at this point, going forward, they have the Padres this week and they have the Dodgers. The Padres, they can win, split, or lose the series. We'll see because it's just a two game. And with the Dodgers, they have three games. So who knows what happens there. If they are, if they win at least one, they, they wouldn't have been swept in any series. They just would have only won one series versus the asterisks. Yes. So a couple of notes before we get to our, uh, our player of the week picks. Um, like I said, Jared Walsh, 13 game hit streak, first grand slam trout, Mike trout last home run, September 10th. When he took over the lead, he hasn't done anything since. And, uh, Luke Voigt, like, pass him. I don't know if he's beyond the 20 now. I haven't looked. And then Franklin Barreto, the middle infielder we picked up from the A's for Tommy LaStella, is out for the season, dislocated his shoulder on a play September 6th. And I remember what happened, seeing him out there at the base. He was just, you know, you could see it in his face, calling everybody out, and it just didn't, he hadn't been back since. Which was kind of sad because I was starting to get a feel for him. He finally got his first hit of the season. We'll see. We have him for a while. We'll see if he can make it up and actually become a worthy addition to the team in 2021. All right. So player of the week, who do you have? This is a lazy pick, but I had to go with Jared Walsh again because he has just been outstanding in the lineup. And I... I, I was thinking about Justin Upton because he's made uh, some strides, but yeah, I got to give it to, uh, to Walshy, I think is what they call him. And yep. uh, that's his, uh, I think it's uh, Walshy21 at Walshy21 on Twitter. Actually, go to our Twitter at Sibling Rivalry BB without the A, and you'll see uh, a tweet, a couple of tweets actually, where we mention him 
in there and you'll you'll be able to find him on there follow him he's yeah, worth so- a follow and uh i think i don't know that he'll be a hall of famer but i think he's going to be a solid player for years to come yes i now, I, I had to go with him again i especially after the grand slam and thinking about okay 13 game win streak the most home runs he had in a season i really did consider jared walsh at the last second, I even considered having a, a dual player of the week. And I don't think it's a lazy pick. I think it's a solid pick because he's earned it. He's had a yeah. good, he's had a good season, but these last two weeks he's been on fire. But I went with another guy who kind of came up around the same time as Jared Walsh. Wasn't sure what to make of him, what would ever happen. And I kind of have even, I don't know him, never heard of him. I have a distant connection to him, but my neighbor's best friend since they were kids son went to college with Taylor Ward and was a backup catcher. Taylor Ward came up as a catcher in college. So I've, I've, I've paid more attention to him because we've talked about them, about him with the neighbor and the friend Taylor Ward. He went eight for 18 over the last week, four doubles, three RBIs, 444 batting average. He's hitting well. Those are the numbers. Taylor Ward gets my player of the week. He's really been, he's been solid in the outfield. He looks a lot better in right field than Joe Adele. I think, uh, I think the Joe Adele experiment for this year needs to just be kind of written off as to a crazy year. And let's see what happens next year when he gets a full spring training and a full shot to be the everyday right fielder. As always, before we wrap things up, we take a a waltz, a stroll, even maybe sachet a little bit around the league. And as usual, we'll start off in the east where unless you've been under a rock or you just only watch one team all the time and never look anything else, which would have been you in the past, the Yankees are hard to get past. So let's hold on and talk about them last. Blue Jays. We thought Buffalo was for sure going to be uh, a solid third team out of the East, and we thought that they would be the second place team. Then they met up with the Yankees, and the Yankees said, no, we're going to be the second place team. Because I don't think that they can get past Tampa. Yeah, that will be that will be interesting to see. They they're not uh, friendly, um, Tampa Bay and, and the Yankees. And uh, Tampa Bay has had their number, but uh, yeah, the Yankees had the Buffalo's number. And uh, I will say, uh, for the Blue Jays, their closer Ken Giles is out. He will be having. Tommy John surgery. So that's a loss for the Blue Jays. I don't know. I mean, he didn't really have a great year. He was pitching, but he'd been struggling uh, since even last season with just having some elbow issues. Which was probably maybe, you know, the beginnings. Yeah. You almost wonder if he had been able, if they had just gone ahead and done it last year. Obviously, he would have missed this season, but who cares? Right. And the yeah. next season, he would have been back. Who, who knows? They've been having injury issues in that uh, that Buffalo bullpen, as it is. And they're starting pitching 
outside of Ryu has been suspect. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at who they got, they made trades, uh, Patrick uh, Corbin and Taiwan Walker, both of them pitched, but not great outings. And then Ross Stripling, unfortunately, he's still, he's not finding his stride in Buffalo. Robbie Ray is another one that has had uh, some issues uh, that they picked up from the Diamondbacks there. So that'll be one of the things that we're going to see when we talk about the playoffs, that's going to be the one thing that we're going to see issues with for a lot of teams in that first round that don't have solid pitching. Teams like the Indians, the Reds, if they are to make it in, are teams with solid pitchers that you can throw out there, one, two, three, maybe even a fourth in some cases, and it really uh, will make a difference. So the Blue Jays have got to hope that Ryu comes out and the first game out that they all just play, you know, like the sons of hall of famers that many of them are. Right. And I play like their fathers play like hall of famers, like it's in their blood or they may see an early exit. I think they'll hold on and maintain that last one of those wild card spots, but I don't see them overcoming the teams in front of them. They're obviously not going to get to the Rays, but I don't think they'll make it past the, uh, the Yankees. Yeah. And I, I got the Diamondbacks pitchers there. It was Robbie Ray, Patrick Corbin uh, pitches for the nationals. So I had to yeah, throw that like, in there. Cause I'm like, like going, that is not right. That up. I, did I miss something? When did, <laughs> yeah. when did that? When I, I thought, Cause I was thinking, didn't I see Patrick Corbin <laughs> pitch for the nationals? Just yeah. So when we- I, when I said it, I thought that's the wrong Diamondback. <laughs> Former Diamondback. Yeah. Current and one time Angel farmhand that they gave up. So Tampa Bay Rays, first uh, Eastern team to clinch a playoff spot. Obviously, the Blue Jays talked about, let's go ahead and go to the Yankees in that East because the rest of the teams are kind of fading off. As as much as we'd hope that the Orioles might make it through and play spoiler in there and, and keep the Yankees out somehow, they couldn't do that. The Blue Jays gave up 43 runs to the Yankees in their recent series. DJ LeMayhew was the player of the week. Uh, Luke Voigt on a on a tear with the home runs. Who needs yes. Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton when you got Luke Voigt and Clint Frazier? Yeah. Yeah, Luke Voigt's 21 home runs leads the majors. DJ LeMayhew, 361 batting average, leads the majors. Those two guys right there in your lineup. The uh, Yankees, the 43 runs scored against the Blue Jays were the most in any three-game series in 90 years. The only time in franchise history that New York scored more runs in any three games. This lineup featured guys like Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. So, Anybody that impressive. I would have heard of? Um, I think you might have heard of, uh, it's not Babe Ryu, Babe Ruth. Oh, oh Ruth, Ruth. Right. Baby Ruth. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Yankees, as, as Smalls would have said, who's she? <laughs> That's right. The Yankees smashed six home runs, becoming the first major league team to hit at least six home runs in three consecutive games. 
Uh, the Yankees' 19 home runs in this series are the most by a team in a series of any length in the modern era since the 1900s. It goes on and on. The Yankees, they were on a tear. And yeah, 20 to 6, 13 to 2, and 10 to 7 were those yeah, they uh, didn't, games. They didn't pull around. And this is this is the team we expected to see all season. Yeah, this is who we were we were talking the train, about. In the beginning. Their train just keeps on rolling. It's a steamroller over everybody. And we thought they were going to run away with the East like the Dodgers would run away with the West. Yeah, the and Yankees then, lost some coal in the, you know, uh, as they were going along on the not train. Garrett. But not Garrett Cole, but they, yeah, they needed to pick up some more and to get that, that steam so back. So strong pitching will help them, but. If they continue with the offense the way it is, their pitching doesn't have to be as perfect. You don't have to have Garrett Cole be right on it, although he'll be solid. Is it uh, Tanaka, who uh, has pitched pretty well? They don't have to worry about much more than that if they're going to play that way. And they got good news for their bullpen. Araldis Chapman's appeal will not be heard until next year for his three-game suspension. Seriously, I did not hear that. Yep. Oh my gosh. So that irritates to, me. So he'll be there for the rest of the season. Mm. Not sure what. Talk what about bias, it. Manfred. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know what? If, if it had, if he had been a member of the Asterix, he would have never gotten any games. And right. even if he had, they would have already appealed and he did, it had been knocked down to zero. Yeah. That that is and true. They probably would have paid him some money for the inconvenience of even having to say he <laughs> you know, wants to appeal. We're sorry that sorry. we put you through this. We, the we're going to find ourselves and give it to you. <laughs> All right. So right. let's take a, a quick look at the NL East. They are still, like we said, there's only two teams from the NL who have clinched a spot in the playoffs. I'm sure here in the early part of uh, of the weeks. You know, this final week, we'll see some more and we'll talk about all of that, how it all finishes up next week. The Braves, who are right now on top, are having pitching issues. Cole Hamels. Yeah. Who hasn't had an awesome. He's on the IL. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen there? The Phillies also dealing with a lot of it is day to day issues, but it's enough that they have to start considering because after a point. Of being day to day, eventually you're going to have to go on the IL because you're taking up a roster spot that can't be used. Romuto, they're hoping will come back this week. Bryce Harper's been a day to day guy, but it seems like he's playing, even though they say they're not sure about him. Right. Yeah, he was out of a game. I think he came out like maybe the second or third inning, um, and but there was in the lineup the next day. So Reese Hoskins is another one who may need to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, with his UCL issue. However, swinging the bat may not be a big deal. They're they're hoping he'll be able to at least swing a bat, maybe DH throughout. We said, I think last week we talked about him and how he'd been heating up as well. And over the last week, seven home runs, 17 RBIs over the last week, two-week period. So that's the big thing. Braves, Miami is uh, still in the mix there in second place. Just nobody's clinched. The Phillies very well could still take that third spot, but a lot of it's going to depend on how those teams all end up playing each other out in this last week. Talking about things that are all crunched together, the Central. is yeah, like It continues that. to now be we, that way. 
we do see that the White Sox and the Twins have both secured playoff spots, but neither have the White Sox haven't grabbed the division yet. They're still, I think the Twins are about a game and a half behind them, give or take. So they're very close there. The Indians, I believe, have put themselves in a spot to grab that wild card. And that's a team that's going to be an issue for the first or second seed, depending on whether they take the seventh or eighth seed because of their pitching. We've talked a lot about Bieber, obviously, and the rest of them, Carrasco, Plezak. They've got great hitting. I mean, great pitching. They're hitting suspect. However, Jose Ramirez leads the team right now with a 290 batting average. Only two other players have above a 270, and that's Francisco Lindor and Cesar Hernandez, 270 and 278. So Cleveland might be heating up there, but it's going to be the pitching that's going to get them through the first and maybe the second. Question will be, once you get to that second round, the division series with no days off, you're not really going to be able to start your game one starter one and four like you would be in a normal series here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with the Indians because that's what they've been coasting on all season is their pitching. I do want to mention for the White Sox that Tim Anderson is day-to-day with a right hamstring. They said he's got some cramping in his right hamstring not the best time for him to possibly end up on the IL MVP candidate. Yeah. So he's listed day to day, uh, but Dallas Keuchel has been activated from the IL right at the right time for the White Sox. So that's a good thing. They were the first AL team to clinch. The Dodgers were the first NL team, White Sox first AL team. They kind of are a team of MVP candidates. We mentioned Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu probably is uh, is ahead of Anderson in that. So I think they're going to make it through if Tim Anderson's not there or not, but they really they really do want him there. And it's good news for them about Dallas Keuchel. The Twins pitching staff has been pretty good. Obviously, Kenta, uh, Jose Barrios pitching well. And then, of course, offensively led by Nelson Cruz, who might be an MVP candidate himself. Yeah, that would be, be pretty awesome. I, uh, I think so. Just see that. That's the thing with the Twins and the White Sox. They both have their playoff spots. So the question is, they're fighting for who gets one and who gets four, kind of like the Dodgers and the Padres. Who's one, who's four, as far as seedings go. Josh Donaldson, just as a little aside here with the Twins, the other day, not happy with a call with the umpire, kind of John at him, strike that he didn't think was a strike. I didn't think it was a strike. I think I don't even think most of the other team thought it was a strike. Even the other pitcher was probably like, no, that's okay. That's okay. Let let him go. (laughs) Next pitch up, he hits a home run and makes his way around the bases. When he gets home, he has more words for the umpire and kicks dirt across home plate. You never do that. And, and, at that point, he throws him out. Now, I heard, and I can't, I didn't see it. I didn't see him do it, but that they threw him out before he ran the bases right after the home run because he said something else. And that he was actually thrown out before he ever went to run the bases, which begs the question, if he, if you threw him out after the home run, can he run the bases? Does that run count? Yeah, that's Does what I was just pitch thinking. Runner? Yeah, <laughs> Who do they put in to to run the bases? Yeah, well, at first it seemed like, did he not hit home? Did he not touch home plate? And he... Then he came back to touch home plate and throw some, kick some more dirt. (laughs) He hit it because he kicked it. He hit it, went over it, and then went back. Yeah. Kicked some more dirt on it. 
And it wouldn't have mattered if he hadn't touched home plate, as far as the umpire is concerned, unless the other team contested it. it or... contested it. Yeah, contested it. Because the, what they'd have to do before they throw to the next player is the pitcher would throw to the catcher, the catcher would step on home plate, and he'd, throw, he'd call him out. Right, right. So yeah. he'd have a home run, but no run scored. But the umpire, you know, he got to use his little broom. So, See, I'm you thinking know. that anything like that, you get to go over there and whisk it off. Yeah. I mean, that's up. a classic umpire move. He should have been happy. <laughs> so the, the a lot of the questions was, was that a good move on Josh Donaldson's part? They're in a playoff race. They were playing the White Sox. Was that a good move? They won the game. He got his home run. It doesn't matter. Who cares? And it's Josh Donaldson. And they're in the that's playoffs. It. And they're in the playoffs. That's it. Now, Another team that's actually a threat to the Reds making or not making it is a team they play this week in the Brewers, who've actually, they look like a team that was going to be completely out of it. They're actually a team that if they don't make it, they could at least play spoiler, especially for the Reds. They, again, went big and beat the Cardinals 18 to three. Christian Yelich, three for four, base on balls and a home run in that game. So he was looking like the Yelly of old. Recently acquired Daniel Vogelbach, three for four, home run and a double, four RBIs for him. Ryan Braun even got in there. You forget him, he got a home run. And then Laherty and Woodford from St. Louis gave up the 14 runs and four home runs between the two of them for an 18 to three beating. <laughs> a shellacking. As we look around the central, like we said, a, a lot of compression there. I think the AL central is pretty much figured out. The NL central, still nobody clinched a playoff spot. The Reds are a team that we think can, but it's all going to be about pitching because their hitting is emaciated. <laughs> Nobody's hitting over 260. Jesse Winker, their DH, has a 257 batting average. He's been their, their best hitter, and he's had big game. He's got 11 home runs. Uh, Suarez, Eugenio uh, Suarez, 14 home runs. Nick Castellanos, 13 home runs. Joey Votto, I think, has around 11, 10 or 11 home runs. But the big bats that normally you think of, when you think of the Reds, you think Joey Votto. Now with Castellanos, Jesse Winker's actually been the overall best hitter. They're another team that's going to be tough in that first in that wild card round, because you're going to have to go through Trevor Bauer, who is my pick for Cy Young in the National League, Luis Castillo, who has pitched really well, and then Sonny Gray's coming off of the injured list. He was on the 10 days, so he's coming back at the right time as well. So they're going to be a, a hard team to beat in that first round. And probably with the way Bauer pitches, he's somebody who can do one and five in that series with no days off because he wants to pitch every fourth day. Yeah. He wants to be out there and, uh, it's trash it can to the man. <laughs> That's right. He is still trolling the asterisks and I love it. Even if he was the biggest villain in baseball, I would be a fan just by the way that he trolls them. I like his outspokenness on a lot of the things, but especially anything versus the asterisks. I was listening to one uh, MLB radio and they were talking about Trevor Bauer. And one of the guys said, I hope Trevor Bauer is an angel next season, just so he can face the asterisks, you know, or, or on, on the West coast, because yeah. 
West will meet West again next year. Right. I would love for him to be an angel. But the one thing I was reading an article and he's really specific about the things that he wants and he wants a winning culture and the angels have won, but I don't know that they're a winning culture in the way that he means it. Mm. I well, think they would allow him to pitch every fourth day because right now we only have pitchers for maybe two days and the rest of it, we're just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Before we wrap everything up, we'll go to the West like we do each week. And before we go to the new Smog City, USA, let's go to the Bay. Mike Yastrzemski, you had mentioned to me during the week that he might be on the injured list or at least day to day. Any update on that? Yeah, He's not on the injured list. He is day to day. He has a mild right calf strain is what they're calling it. He'll hit off a tee. He'll do some short tossing this week, but he hasn't been in the lineup for the last four games. So I think that definitely is affecting the Giants lineup just because he's a big part of it. But yeah, he's not on the IL just yet. Yeah, that'll definitely play a part in the Giants run here because he is such a big part of that offense. I want to mention too, with the Giants, Justin Smoke was designated for assignment. He was uh, playing first base. Remember the Panda, Pablo Sandoval was DFA'd. He ended up um, in Atlanta. Justin Smoke, he, this is the second time this month that he's been cut. The Brewers designated him on September 3rd and then released him on the 8th. The Giants picked him up and he's cut again. Yeah, so. you got to wonder. We we did mention that because Vogelbach was picked up by the Brewers and yeah. actually contributed in that 18 to 3 game we were just talking about. I, I said one Mariner for another Mariner because Justin Smoke spent a lot of time with the, uh, the Mariners, but yeah. maybe it's all over. Might be. Since we're talking about San Francisco, we can uh, bring in the Mariners at this point because their series that was scheduled at home in Seattle was moved to San Francisco due to poor air quality. The smoke from the wildfires in Washington uh, has just enveloped the city of Seattle. It's really no no visibility or very little visibility. No. It really does remind me of the 80s L.A., and the the seventies and eighties smog problems. Yeah, you just it would get to that point where you couldn't see anything. So they had to move their series with San Francisco down there. Also, uh, the follow up series with the Padres, which I think this season it doesn't really matter that they had to move series because it's not like it broke into their home routines because they're right. not doing anything other than being at home. Yeah, they that didn't have giveaways or anything. It wasn't like right. the Padres like were going to... Like the players' the players normal routine. Yeah, not, their routine. Not Justin Smoke bobblehead night. Well, I don't know about that. But I will say uh, Mariner's Twitter... Oh, think about it. Wouldn't that work, Justin Smoke? It would Seattle. be perfect. It would be perfect. It would be it would be good. Uh, but the Mariners uh, Twitter, when they are the home team in San Diego, they had done some creative drawing of uh, the uh, Petco Park. And you could see the Space Needle, 
and didn't they have like the some, moose. Yeah, the moose. There were some different things there, and I think there was an airplane flying yeah. by. It was, and they said, "Welcome to Seattle." <laughs> that was pretty cool. Didn't the Padres Twitter say something that was kind of like in fun with it? Yeah, they were playing. They say, were playing along. Yeah, and the Twitter for MLB for the teams have been uh, really good, especially the Marlins. Again, they lost fifteen to nothing and won in a doubleheader against the the Nationals, and they once again were getting. Uh, consoled by teams in the MLB. <laughs> Play of the week this last week went to uh, Mariner, Kyle Lewis, who I don't know about you. He's my pick for uh, AL Rookie of the Year. Yeah, Made a definitely. very Griffey-esque catch to rob a home run out in uh, center field, left center. So that was pretty cool for Kyle Lewis. Here's the thing for the, the Mariners. You picked them to make the playoffs. I did. I was hoping they would be a spoiler. What works for them this week is they have the team that they need to beat to be second place. Three games against the Asterix. Yeah. They very well could gain ground on them. and then, But it's a tough week for them because they have the Asterix and then they have the A's. Once again, we have to look at the A's and say, what? how will they be playing? Will they be resting guys? Will the Mariners be in a position to make the playoffs on their own merit? Sure, they could do that. They can overcome it. Or will the A's kind of help them out, not purposely, but will they help them out by how they play, you know, by giving guys days off, resting some pitchers or working a different rotation strategy? And then with the asterisks, if the Mariners can sweep them with three, that still doesn't it puts them in there. It kind of evens things out, I think. I think it, it makes them about even if they can sweep them or within a game. Then the Asterix play Texas. And not that the, the Rangers are a pushover, because I've seen them play more than just the Angels and the Dodgers. They can cause problems, but they're not that strong of a team overall. And you saw their bullpen falling apart with the Rangers. So the Asterix go from a need to win type of series just to keep the next team, uh, you know, the team behind them at bay. But the Angels and the and the Mariners are only a game apart now with the streak. Now, the, the Angels have a hard five games in this final week. The Mariners have a harder schedule. The Asterix, because they've been playing so poorly overall, may very well put themselves in a position to lose it. But I think it's more theirs to lose than it is for the Mariners to win at this point. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Speaking of the asterisks, Justin Berlander will undergo Tommy John surgery. He will be out for the entire 2021 season. He does plan to come back at age 39 to pitch. I know he was fighting it when he got hurt initially at the beginning of the season. Thought, oh yeah, I'll be back. And everybody was like, no, it's Tommy John. He's going to have to have Tommy John. And he does. So, well, you know, know, sometimes the, the player is the last one to give in and, and no, I think that there's a parallel between him and Ken Giles there in Buffalo that they, I don't think Ken Giles, Ken Giles overcame an, an elbow issue, but I don't think he's ever been right with it. And I, I think everybody, nobody wants to have that, but now it's, 
probably less people get root canals than get Tommy John surgery these days. <laughs> I think you're right. Now, another guy who probably doesn't, I'm sure does not want Tommy John, but uh, Wade Davis was designated for assignment by the Rockies. He had a 20.77 ERA at the time of his release. He had a negative 0.1 war. Uh, he had been signed uh, three years ago, was really looking, Rockies were really looking for him to bolster their bullpen, and it just didn't happen. And so Wade Davis you know, is... Both the, the Angels and the Dodgers had their way with him this season. One more thing. We'll talk about the Padres again. Mike Clevenger, injury issues as well. No telling where he's at, how he's going to stack up. They definitely, I don't know if they need him because they played well without him for a long time. But when it comes to playoffs, I think they will because they need a strong arm. They need to be able to overwhelm people, not just with their offense, but with their pitching as well, or at least keep it at bay. And I know that they've uh, taken Garrett Richards who had been starting for him, and they've moved him to the bullpen. In fact, he threw uh, an inning or two there against the Dodgers last week Yeah, from the, from the bullpen. So that's something to look at. They're also getting ready. So that's why, I, you know, the teams that have clinched will be interesting to see what kind of things they do in this coming week to get ready for the playoffs while the rest of the National League will be trying to just get into the playoffs. And that'll do it for this week's Sibling Rivalry Baseball Podcast. Remember, you can find us on our website, siblingrivalrybb.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at siblingrivalrybb. We're also on Twitter at siblingrivalrybb without the A. Email us, show at siblingrivalrybb.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to our podcast. Next week on Sibling Rivalry Baseball, the regular season ends. Dodgers versus Angels. Sister versus brother. Wait, what? Josh Fields has a sister? Yeah!